That is a that is a beautiful song. My goodness, I think you know. That, I think that song drives home something that I've been trying to figure out about myself. And I've joked with you in in the past is uh, I'm not been like a very Merry Christmas kind of guy. I'm kind of a ball humbug kind of guy at heart. That's that's how I grew up. But uh, this this new like season of I'm 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 excited about the Christmas season. I think is is due in part because when when we read through the Sermon on the Mount and we read about the, the things that Jesus talked about, the, the, who, the who he was and who he was driving his message towards, it's impossible not to read that. Even if you're far from Christianity and you're like, hey, I'm not ready to be a Christian yet, it's impossible to read the Sermon on the Mount and think that's not a man worth following. Uh, the, the question you may ask if you're not a believer is, is it true? Is, is what he's saying true? But, but to take it at face value, it is a good message. It is a message of a king showing up into his creation and saying, we never intended for you to suffer in this way. Uh, I'm going to redeem the world. That, that just, I think, I think it's been the last 10 weeks of being in the Sermon on the Mount is why I'm ready for Christmas. And so we're going to be landing the Sermon on the Mount today. It's week 10. Uh, I've never done 10 weeks of a series before. I think the biggest one before this was six. So, you know, welcome to the record club, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like we'll go for 12 next time. Um, we're going we're gonna to read the closing comments of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I've always uh, told students this, that, you know, uh, imagine you're in class and it's a, it's, a, it's a day before the test, right? And the teacher's going over some things and there's some stuff on the board that he or she's writing down. And then the bell rings, right? And so you start packing up your books and you're ready to get up and go. Uh, but the, the teacher says, hey, one more thing right before you go and says like, two more points real quick. The question is, uh, are those two more points going to be on the test tomorrow? Absolutely. Like the, you always pay attention to the last things. The, the last words of Matthew are so powerful. And the last words of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to read today is it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, Hey guys, listen, this is on the test. We need to pay attention to this and we need to know, uh, how to, how to do these things. You know, when, when Jesus shares these words, it's a better world than what you and I have experienced out there. The, the ideal of, it's not about how strong you are. It's not about who you know. It's not about, are you on the conquering side of the, of the socioeconomic scale? It's, it's not about that. Your success can be found in the kingdom. That, that's, a, that's exciting to, to everyone. And so we're going we're gonna to close out the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, today. Uh, and then I, I would ask you to consider, like, as we move into Christmas season, I mean, this is our last non-December Sunday for a while, as we move into Christmas season and we look forward to celebrating the birth of this king, is his message... Is this message still worthy of following, still worthy of emulating? Is there something in this message, even for you Christians who have been followers for a while, is there something even in what we're going to read today that I've, I've forgotten that? I've, I've missed the mark on that. It's time for me to kind of recapture that because, because I promise you, what we're going to read today is going to be on the test. So if you would, open your Bible with me. Uh, I'm going to be in chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and I'll start in verse seven. And let me, let me ask you, uh, is anybody in here just like your favorite pastime? What you love is just getting the silent treatment from a kid or a spouse. 
Like, it's awesome, right? Like, nothing really, of course, it's, it's, it's the most defeating thing ever. Uh, when I was a social worker, I would go into houses and I would talk to kids that I'm a stranger to. They don't know me from anybody. And most adults can't be trusted, right? And I would start talking to them. And nine times out of 10, I would get the silent treatment in response. And it's just the most like defeating, like I am a grown man with like a career and you're just like six years old and you have all this power over me right now because like you're not answering anything. Like, are you ready for Christmas, Billy? Crickets. Uh, do you, do you like candy? Crickets. Okay, I'll give you broccoli. Like I couldn't even out of out of play out of in the silent treatment. It just it just like it gets old after a while. Uh, marriages that a spouse instead of arguing or engaging in the conflict, entering into the silent treatment is the most defeating and and no progress happens in the silent treatment. If I talk to many people, uh, young Christians, older Christians, people who've been Christians for a while, it doesn't matter. There's this frustration out here a lot that uh, I'm praying and I'm talking to God, but I don't, I don't think he's hearing me. A lot of people, they, they get kind of in the season uh, in their life and the, where their frustration of their faith kind of grows bigger and bigger. It began with, I felt like I was talking to God and he was ignoring me. And, and the question is, is like, does God engage in that? Does God, does God give us the silent treatment? I've got good news. Um, the answer is, is no. And let me, let me show you in the Sermon on the Mount um, why I say that. Chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus has just finished uh, before this. Uh, he was talking about not worrying. Tomorrow uh, has enough worries for itself. Today is sufficient. Today's worries. And then we went last week. Uh, he was talking about judge not, lest you be judged by the same measurement. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to help your brother with the speck in his eye. And immediately after that, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, now this is this is a uh, a direct statement that Jesus makes right here. There's no way to kind of like read that as a metaphor or you know like uh, well maybe sometimes God answers, sometimes God doesn't. And so the question is is why is it that Jesus can make such a, a a strong statement as that? And yet many Christians, when they talk about the frustration of their faith, it's I, I feel like God's silent. I feel like God doesn't hear me. The, the Old Testament ends um, with the book of Malachi, ends with all the prophets. And in, in the prophets, um, they all begin with warning about a lot of pain and a lot of frustration that's going to come upon the people. And they all contain in that warning the hopeful beginnings, but Messiah is coming Hope is coming. Jesus, they didn't use the name Jesus, but Jesus is coming and there is hope in his name. The prophets had this twofold message. There is warning and there's pain in the future, but at the end of it is full of hope and majesty and God's going to redeem it. The Old Testament ends, the prophets end, and there's 500 years of no Bible. 500 years of what they feel like is the silent treatment. When, when Jesus says this to these people, they don't quite understand who Jesus is at, at this moment because understand like we, we're, you know, we're in the year 2000s and so we, we've seen the cross and we, we know the Easter story. We've, we've been churching for a while now. They've not done that at all. They're hearing Jesus, many of them for the very first time and he's telling them, hey, listen, if you ask God, he's gonna answer you. 
If you knock on that door, he's going to open that door. If you seek him, you will find him. And I'm sure somebody in that crowd was like, are you sure? Because it's been like 500 years since we've heard anything. It's, it's been a while since we've heard from God. And I, I just, I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room right now. It's like, you know what? I'm going through the motions and I'm here in church and I'm ready to do the Christmas thing. Maybe online, someone's watching. And it's just like, I, I, feel, like, I feel like God hasn't heard me in a while. My soul feels like it's been 500 years since I've heard from him. I promise you this, God has heard your prayers. God has heard your cries. He knows whatever pain is in your heart, he knows what you've shared with him. Because God does not play hide and go seek. So we, we've fallen into this trap uh, and a lot of young people, not, not just young Christians, but just young people. If you watch like videos and you see the conversations, a lot of young people have this view that God is just like, he's hiding behind a tree. And then you go to the tree and he's like, he runs and he runs away and he gets, he gets behind uh, and he's constantly hiding from me. And, and I'm just, I'm getting frustrated with, with finding him. Jesus says, that's not what God does. God does not engage in the silent treatment. He does not play hide and go seek. If, if you want to draw close to God, He's there. He's, 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 a, he's a prayer away. So what, what does it mean when, when he's saying, you know, well, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is seek. All you have to do is knock. We, we need to put this in the context of what he's just been talking about. Because just a few verses before here, he was saying, first, take that log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Then he warns about the dogs and the pigs. We talked about that. And immediately goes into asking, seeking, and knocking. It seems to be in context what we should be asking God for and what we should be seeking from him and what doors we should be knocking on are those doors where we are addressing the problems that we see in ourselves, the log in our eye, the, the pain that, that we have in us, the trauma, the, the, the sin, whatever it is. And we take it to God and we're just like, God, will you help me? Will you, will you help me forgive this person? Will, will, you, will you help me take this? I'm so tired of swinging this log around. Will you help me take this log out? Will, will you help my heart heal from this pain that I can't let go? Will, 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 you, will you help me? And Jesus says, God never plays hide and go seek. If you ask him for those things, he'll give them to you. You seek them, you'll find them. If you knock on that door, it will be open to you. Let's Let's continue. He says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? That's a, that's a funny question. Uh, keep going. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now, I know some of you dads in here, you're like, that's, that's a pretty good idea, right? Hey, son, you want to go fishing? He casts it out there, and he reels in like a cotton mouth or something. Like, I gotcha. Like, that would be kind of funny. Uh, which, which one of you parents... Your kid is like, hey, the moms are like, no, that's a terrible idea. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's a fake cotton mouth in my imagined world. Uh, every parent in here knows when, you, when your kid is desperate and they're sick, they're hurting, and they run to you, you stop what you're doing when it's a real hurt. Like moms, moms have that ear where they know the difference between two different cries, right? There's a, ah, ah, he just needs some attention. He'll walk it off. Rub some dirt in it, kid. You'll be fine. And it's like, ah, it's just a slight, like hue different, little, little squeal different. And mom just like drops the plates and drops the dishes and runs out there because Billy like broke a leg or something. How you know that from the difference between the cries is beyond me. But, but Jesus points to our parental nature and says, don't you, don't you want to give your kids good things when they need it? Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely do. Also, though, 
don't we as parents know, like, our kid doesn't actually need another bag of jelly beans right now? Like, it's not a real need, that's a want, and sometimes we say no. Yeah, yeah, we, we know the difference between a need and a, and a want. Uh, Christmas is coming up, uh, teenagers. Uh, PS5 is not a need, it just isn't. Maybe Santa Claus will give you your want, but it's not a need. We, see, we as parents, we know how to meet our kids' needs, and we know how to kind of discern the difference between wants and needs and what's good for them and what's bad for them, what's a, what's a treat and would be extra and what's you know, necessary, like vegetables. And Jesus says, well, if you as a parent know how to do that, don't you think your father in heaven knows so much better what you need and is willing to run to you in your rescue? Verse 11, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? There, there's, so, there's so much to unpack right here. And, and to put it in context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, I don't, I don't have time to, but, but you've been here for a few of the 10 weeks at least. I mean, think about all the different things that Jesus has encouraged us to consider Ask today for your daily bread. Help me forgive uh, those who have trespassed against me. Uh, Lord, don't let my righteousness be made, make me into a hypocrite. Don't let me be public in just doing all my righteous things. Let, let, me, let me be private in those things. If you take the Sermon on the Mount and the things that are super hard to do, and you convert those into your prayer life, two things will happen. One, you will never run out of things to pray about. Uh, we're, we're all works in progress. And two... You're praying exactly what God says that you need. And a good father always gives his kids what they need, especially when they're asking for it. So, so maybe, maybe one of the things we can do in closing out the Sermon on the Mount and, and reviewing this passage, but also previous passages, is, okay, I understand what Jesus said. Maybe we kind of point that as a mirror to ourselves and we say, what, what am I supposed to do with this? How, how, how do I... How do I love my enemy? Because man, I really like, I really want to hate my enemy. My enemy deserves some hate. And then you ask around, like all your friends are like, yeah, they deserve some hate. My gosh, she, she, Becky was talking about you behind your back. And you're like, okay, bring it on, Becky. How do you, how do you hate? Uh, sorry, Becky. I just chose, chose, I chose a name. It was in my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, don't talk behind my back about me. Um, and how, how, do, how do I forgive my enemy? Because it's super hard. Well, we go to the Father, we ask him. We seek out in ourselves the areas of ourselves that are this huge log that everybody sees as a problem that we, we've been afraid to deal with. We, we, we knock on the door and we say, God, I think I'm ready to walk through this door of forgiveness. I think I'm ready to walk through this door of, of hope again. I think I'm ready to walk through this door of just praying and having a relationship with you again because this silent treatment has been killing me and I'm sorry I've been silent with you. It's been 500 years of a drought. I'm ready to knock. And, and Jesus says, God's not going to keep that door locked because he's a good father. He's going to open the door. Let's keep going. Verse 12, so, let me begin with the word so, just a little preacher nerdy thing right here. Um, when, when you're doing Bible study, it's really important to pay attention to the connecting words. I've, I talked about the word therefore a few weeks ago. The word so is important right here because what he's about to say is so common. Uh, it's, it's almost like written in every school teacher's classroom. Uh, it's the golden rules, what he's about to say. But he put that word so in front of it because he's connecting it to everything he just said. 
He's connecting it to the log in the plank. He's connecting it to the, uh, the, 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 the dogs and the pigs. He's connecting it to uh, the asking and the seeking and the knocking. Because of all these other things being true, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That phrase, the law and the prophets, is shorthand. It just means this is what God meant for you in all of the Old Testament. This is is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus sums up all 10 commandments and all 600 other promises and commandments that are written in the Old Testament. And he sums them up this way. Do to others what you want them to do to you in all of your relationships. In everything that we do. Because why? So he's connecting it. Because the reality is, is that we've had a log in our eye and we've hurt other people too. And when someone hurts us, we need to treat them the way that we want to be treated. And what do we, we, want, we want people to understand that sometimes I'm acting out of trauma. Sometimes I'm acting out of pain. Sometimes I'm just having a bad day. I, I need forgiveness. I need grace. Therefore, Jesus would say, treat others with the same measure. He, he said before that, that by, judge not lest you be judged because the same measure you use will be measured against you. Therefore, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's not, it's not an accident that this is coming at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we, we want to sum up, especially when we're talking to little kids, that, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, treat other people nicer, kinder. That's a good message. I think it's, it's good enough that it's on all the classroom teachers. Am I wrong? Is that still in classrooms where it's like a poster? It was like, treat others the way you want to be treated. I know when I was a kid, there was a poster in one of my classrooms that said the golden rule, and it had like 12 different versions, and it all said the same thing. You could have saved paper and ink, just like quote Jesus and get it over with, but they're quoting like Confucius and other people. But anyway, uh, it all said the same thing. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. This is, this is located at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, because if you're reading through the beginning of it, there's a lot of, hey, buddy, your righteousness isn't as good as you, know, you planned for it to be. A lot, a lot of your activity, friend, is, is you trying to make up for the lack of righteousness that you see in yourself. That's, that's why we put on such a good show for people. That's why we try to build our own kingdom. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And he gets here. Now, now that you don't have to worry about what people think about you, now that you don't have to worry that the books are clear and everybody who owes you a debt is fixed, Everybody who, who has wronged you has been wronged in return. You don't have to get your revenge. You don't have to get, you don't have to get vengeance in any way. Uh, Jesus has taken all of that off the table. It's no longer up to you to impress your friends. It's no longer up to you to impress God and to perform acts as if he's going to look down on you and be like, wow, I'm really impressed with your prayer today. Well done. You prayed like three whole minutes. Uh, we, we don't have to put on a show anymore. And he takes all that off the table. So what do we do now that we're free of all this burden? We treat others the way that we want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. Here's here's a mystery. Um, Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has accomplished, you and I as Christians are no longer required to be maintainers of our own righteousness. He's taking care of it. All that we're left to do then is that we're free to improve our relationships with God and man. We treat others the way that we want to be treated, because this is the law and the prophets. We're free from the sacrificial code because Jesus paid a high enough price to have good relationships with people and to fight for it, to fight for forgiveness. He he keeps saying, though, there's a connection here between how we treat people and what he says next. Verse 13, 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So it's such an easy phrase to say, treat others the way that you want to be treated. We can say it. But when it comes time to actually do something with it, it's the hardest thing in the world. Because we want to judge them and we want to correct them on their behavior. And we give ourselves a pass for our intentions. And Jesus says, you know what? When, when you try to apply the golden rule to your life and really live this thing out, just ridiculous forgiveness, ridiculous grace with all people, choosing not to judge people, choosing to show amazing amounts of mercy, when you choose to do that, it will be the hardest thing in the world. Very few people are going to do it. That's why it's the narrow gate. What you're going to see a lot more people do, the wide gate, the wide path, where all the many people are, is just do what the world does. Give people what they've got coming. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Like, let's just settle it up right now. Let's, I'm going to tell that boss exactly what I think. I'm going, to, I'm going to belittle her in front of a crowd of people because, you know, that makes me feel good. That's what the world does, and there are a ton of people in that line. If you look around and you just, like, poll your friends, like, which one should I do? You don't always choose the one has the most people in it because Jesus says the place where many people are is the wide path. It's the easy path, and it is not the path that leads to life. It's actually the path that leads to the word he used is destruction. What we will see is that if we try to be the, the, the arbiters of, of what is right and wrong, if we, try to, if we try to correct every wrong that we see, if we try to make sure that everybody who's wronged us gets what is coming to them, at the end of it is that we will destroy every relationship we have, we'll be lonely, we'll be bitter, and we'll not be satisfied with any of the vengeance that we got. What we will be satisfied with is if we can find in ourselves the ability to just let go treat others the way that we want to be treated, Jesus says we'll find life. It's a narrow path and it's a hard path. Maybe the hardest thing we'll do on this side of heaven, but it's where life is. And few are going to find it, he says. Let's keep going. Very last verses, verse 24. He closes out this, the Sermon on the Mount and he says, he says, everyone, everyone who's there, and, and these aren't just the Jews. Remember, these are, some of these are from Syria. Some of these are from across the Jordan. There's a couple of Roman centurions in the crowd. There's some scribes and Pharisees. And he says to everyone, this promise, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So, so the, the formula is, you, you hear what Jesus said, which is, we've done for 10 weeks now. And I think, uh, I don't know if this is true of you, but I think, I think whenever I read Jesus's words as they are, rather than what like a critic is saying about them, it's a lot fresher, a lot better ideas here. So we, we hear the words of Jesus, but everyone who hears them and does them, so there's, there's two pieces to the equation. We hear what Jesus says and we choose to enact it in our lives. Um, Jesus says, we're gonna be like wise people who built a house on a rock. The storm comes, the wind comes, the floodwaters, wind, it was just like, golly, hurricane, whatever, hits the house. But the house stands. But, he says, uh, in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, the, we've changed the formula. You, you, you know what Jesus wants us to do, 
Um, but you make the choice not to, not to do it. We're, we're, we're hearers and we, we soak it up and we're really smart and we can have Bible arguments with people, um, but we're not, we're not cha- choosing the hard things of life to do. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here, here's, here's just a, a biblical principle. Jesus says that if we, if we pay attention to what he says and choose to do it, the storm that hits our life is going to hit our life and our life, our house, the thing that we've been building, it stands. It, it stands the test of time. But a foolish person does not hear uh, what Jesus says or hears it and chooses not to do it. They're also building a life. They're also building a house in the same storm and the same wind and the same rains and the same flood hits it and that life crumbles. How is it, do you suppose, that there, there's all these like older, older Christians who have gone through an, a, a, a few decades of faith and they get terrible news one day and they're, they're not terribly shaken by it. They, they, they handle it. They know, they know their security. And yet someone who, who is younger with much lesser news seems rattled by every little thing. The difference, the difference is where they were building their house. There's wisdom in following what Jesus says and choosing to enact it, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. Oh my gosh, even when it would be tastier to get some revenge, even when it would be tastier to put someone in their place. Uh, there's wisdom in choosing not to. Because when the, the, when the rest of life hits, the, the house will stand. Your life isn't going to crumble. Uh, here's another biblical principle. This is kind of bad news uh, for, for everybody. If, if you were taught something along these lines that, hey, listen, I know your life is hard right now, but just give your life to Jesus and it makes life so much easier. Uh, Jesus never said that. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I had somebody in college, uh, I, I won't go too much into detail, but she, she, was, she was struggling with some stuff and she turns to me and she says, uh, do, you think it's, do you think life is easier when you're following Jesus? And I was young, I was like 19. I was like, yeah, I think so. And she looks at me, she goes, uh, I don't think it is. And I was into that conversation. Like she was just, and it was earth shattering. I was like, what are you talking about? Is that even religious? Is that biblical? I don't, I don't know. Well, it turns out Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you build the house, you still get the storm. You still get the pieces of life that are just trying to tear your house apart. You still get the things, the conversations, the bad news. It hits and it doesn't change whether you're a believer following Jesus or an unbeliever. What changes is how your life stands the test of the, the, the pain, the, the test of the storm. And the promise is, is that if you hear what Jesus says and do it, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through the storm. And you may be you may be the saving grace, the rescuer of this friend next to you who's not making it through the storm. We need to look out for our friends who, who aren't making it. And as far as uh, my red text Bible goes, where the red letters mean that Jesus is talking, he, he stops right there. We finished the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, the author uh, of, of the book, who's recording the Sermon on the Mount for us, he, he, he kind of closes out what Jesus says with these few verses, uh, 28. He says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. I, I bet they were. You, you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can't, you can't hear the teachings of Jesus in, in, their, in their full you know, context and not be like, this, this is fresh stuff. 
We've had this in our scriptures for 2,000 years, and I'm reading, I'm like, this is fresh. This is, this is appealing to me. This is not old and stale Christianity. This is, this is life-changing. Because the people who, who uh, chose to live life this way, they transformed the world after this. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. What were they astonished by specifically, though? Verse 29. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were amazed and astonished at Jesus' authority to say things with such certainty, with such absolute certainty. If you want some homework, uh, the next chapter, chapter 8, is all about Jesus' authority. Because Matthew wants us to look at how amazing and how intact is Jesus' authority. Because if, if he really does have that kind of authority, then everything he said has more weight and more value. In the next chapter, uh, we see that Jesus heals a leper. He reaches out and touches a leper. None of us are Jews, so this doesn't gross you out. But, but to touch a leper means that you're no longer allowed in the temple yourself. But the leprosy like passes off to you. Jesus touches the leper. He has so much authority. He has authority over the leprosy. He heals the leper. They can both go into the temple now. That's amazing. Uh, the next uh, paragraph or bit of verses is the centurion. He's not a Jew. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's not a follower of God, but he heard the Sermon on the Mount and he believed in Jesus' authority so much he goes to him and says, hey, my son is sick. Will you heal him? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to your house and heal him. He goes, no, I, I, I have people of authority over me. I'm, I'm under people of authority. I know whenever I say something, it gets done. So I believe, Jesus, you have enough authority. You just say he's healed and it's done. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. And heals his son from like three blocks away. That's how much authority Jesus has. Jesus has authority over uh, the fever, uh, Peter's mom. Jesus has authority over the storm. Jesus has authority over, over uh, demons in, the, in this chapter. Matthew wants to prove to you and me that Jesus has enough authority to make the promises that he made in the Sermon on the Mount and follow through with them. He has so much authority that when he says that you talk to God, you ask him, you seek him, you knock, he doesn't hide from you. He has so much authority that says, if you do what I'm telling you to do, listen to what I'm telling you to do, you're going to withstand the storms of this life. That's how much authority Jesus has. So as, as we close this out, uh, I just want to ask three questions. I, th I think, I think you, you've heard enough of my ideas, like, uh, you know, this is, this is what this means, and this is what this means. I, th I think we know more or less what the Sermon on the Mount means. Uh, I want to ask some questions. I want to ask you to ask yourself some questions. I want you to look at your relationship with God, how it's been over the last, you know, six months, year, six years, your life, uh, depending on, on where you're at. And in, in the quiet space of just you and, and the Father, the quiet space of just you and God, when nobody else is looking, there's not a crowd judging you by how well you prayed or did you attend church, it's just you and God. Are you asking for, seeking after, and knocking on the door of the next, next adventure he is calling you on? So we, we think of adventures as like fun, like quests. I'm gonna go get a box of treasure um, some of the adventures are, I need, to, I need to go have a hard conversation with someone. Some of the adventures are, I need to stop ignoring that big log in my eye, stop seeing it in other people and trying to fix them. It's time, it's time for me to address this. So, some of that adventure is, you know what, I'm, it's time for me to stop putting on a show for God and stop practicing my righteousness in front of people as if I'm going to get their praise and just deal with things quietly. 
Some of us, the next adventure is, I have wronged somebody. I have hurt someone's feelings and I've done everything except apologize. Um, some, of, some of it is the next adventure is I need to apologize. And then we begin asking God, like, help me. Help me with the log. Help me with the, will you open the opportunity for this conversation? I'm going to knock on that door until you open. Like, Jesus promises that he will. I think many of us, we've just given up on our relationship with God. It's time to reclaim that. I think, I think the 500 years of silence and the drought of the heart, it's time to end. If nothing else, like as we move into Christmas, that, that's my hope for our community, is that we're, we're no longer so negative. And then we begin to do business with the Father. This, the second question I want to ask you is, is you know, okay, so relationship with God. In, in your relationship with, with people, people around you, in the crowded space of all the noise and all the, all the different conversations that happen there, do you take the easy path that leads to the destruction or do you choose the more difficult path that leads to life? When, you, when, you, when you're in school, uh, teenagers, and there's just like, golly, so many people, it would be easier to just nuke the whole relationship and be like, you know what, uh, I'm done. Uh, but that, that's going to lead to destruction. We just finished Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, but in the off chance that one or two of us had a terrible environment, a hard moment with family and friends, in those relationships, are you willing to choose the hard path rather than the, the easy path? You're going to have a lot of people tell you the easy path is the right path. That's why it's crowded. That's why Jesus says there's a lot of people there. The hard path are going to have fewer people but you're going to have people of faith, people who are followers of Jesus, who are cheering you on, who will pray with you about that. And if, if you know, there's a, a moment in, uh, I think it's in Luke, where this dad takes his son to Jesus. This is a fascinating story uh, that I don't have time for. Uh, he takes his son to Luke and he says, Lord, if you, if, if you will, uh, uh, you can heal my son. And, and Jesus says, well, if you believe, I can, I will. And the dad says, oh, I believe, I have faith. Next sentence, help my unbelief. There's this moment sometimes where we know the right thing to do and then we just ask God, like, help me out with all the bits of it I don't have the energy for right now. I'm, I'm broken and I'm, I'm not ready, but I trust that you can help me with that. Will, will you help me with these relationships so that you can choose the hard path? And, and here's, here's the third question. As you just look at your life, uh, the, the, the life that you've built, the life that you're living right now when you, when you leave this room, um, there's gonna be a storm that hits it. There's, there's no way to avoid it. There's no faith, there's no religion that avoids all the storms of life. You can, you can become a monk, go live in a, in a cave somewhere, uh, you're gonna deal with something, uh, probably a snake or whatever. When the next storm hits your life, the one that you have right now, uh, will, will your life, will, will, will your house stand the beating waves or will it fall? Are you living in a house of cards that is just one storm away from everything crashing? Um, or, or are you going to make it? Do you think you can make it? If you, if you do a little assessment before the storm, it's like prepping for a hurricane. Uh, you know your house will flood if you don't do certain steps when the storm comes. Right now, your life, uh, is it going to stand up under the pressure that this world will throw on you? Because the world will chew on you. The world, the world will do something that is going to affect you and your family. And Jesus says that if you build your life on this rock, following his way of doing things, trusting his authority, living and acting in a way that is honoring to him, you're going to make it. You're going to be fine. 
The storm will still hit. There will be some damage, but you're going to make it. If we don't have that rock of faith, we walk through life scared of every next storm, every next thing, and our decisions reflect that. Our decisions look like we're timid and scared. But Christians, believers, you in, you, you in this room, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, you know what, I, I have been building on this rock. Sure, there's some things I can work on. We should be walking through this world with the most confidence that nothing is going to shake you, not at your core anyway, not at your foundation. Let me pray, uh, and then uh, we'll watch the cue together. My hope for you is uh, that you, whether it's for the first time or the bajillionth time, uh, that you take Jesus up on his word, uh, you start to do things his way. You commit some, some areas of your life to doing them his way, and then you'll see the security that comes from that. Father, uh, we come to you this morning, and we thank you, God, for um, your word. We thank you, God, that there's, a, there's an opportunity to, to trust you at, at every step of it. I, I pray, Lord, that as we, um, as we assess, as we, as we ask the hard questions, Lord, that we would, we would have a sense of you being close. We, we would know that you're hearing us. Lord, that you, you would help us build this life on a firmer foundation than what this world has offered us. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from, from the storms, but when they come, uh, Lord, help us, help us to be there for one another and uh, help, us, help, us, help us make it. Thank you that you don't leave us in the silence. Thank you that you don't leave us in our pain and our suffering. And thank you that you sent your son uh, to rescue us. We pray this in his name. Amen.